Well, good morning. So grateful that you've joined us this morning. I want to just jump into the Word so you can turn to 2 Samuel chapter 12. That's where we're going to start. Open up your Bible or your app and let's get ready and roll. Here's what it says, 2 Samuel 12. It says, So the Lord sent Nathan to the prophet David to tell this story. There were two men in a certain town. One was rich and one was poor. The rich man owned a great many sheep and cattle, and the poor man owned nothing but one little lamb that he had bought. He raised that little lamb, and it grew up with his children. It ate from the man's plate and drank from his cup. He cuddled it in his arms like a baby daughter. Ah, oh, that's kind of cute. And one day, the guest arrived at the home of the rich man, and in Instead of killing an animal from his own flock or herd, he took the poor man's lamb and killed it and prepared it for his guest. David was furious. As surely as the Lord lives, he vowed, any man who would do such a thing deserves to die. Remember that in a second. He must repay four lambs to the poor man, poor man for he stole one for having no pity. Then Nathan says to David, you're that man. Let's just stand here for a moment. Have you ever been trapped or cornered because of sin? Have you ever felt like there's no way out? Today we're going to talk about the consequence of sin. And as we get ready to pray, I just want you to really listen to God and hear what he has for us today. I believe it will have eternal consequences. So as we pray and think about the consequences of sin and maybe some big sin that you've had in your life, I'm going to pray that God's power and his grace and mercy will go strong before us. So let's spend this time in prayer. Father, we claim you as Lord and Savior. Father, I ask that you start to get rid of all the distractions right now, all the noise in my head and in our minds. Lord, all the things that we're struggling with right now, we ask those just to be removed and let us solely focus on you. Father, we claim your word is true. We ask for you to work powerfully right now in the name of Jesus. Use this time together online to connect to you, Lord, and be obedient to you, Lord, so that we can learn to love you. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. I always remind my buddy, pastor in Mexico always closes that way. And I'm really grateful for this story. Listen, if the Bible, if this Bible story was about humans right now, this story would be scrubbed. If this Bible story was about a human person and, and nothing else, this story would be wiped out of the Bible. It would just be deleted. It wouldn't want to be direct, uh, addressed. If it was a political person, they would scrub this and hope it never came up. But because this story is about God, this Bible story needs to be in the Bible. It teaches us so much. The story we're going to go through today is painful, but it's critical and essential for our growth. It's, it's important that we understand this story, and it's really about the consequence of sin from King David. Now listen, David is the greatest Hebrew hero of all time. In Hebrew history, there's no one greater. Even Moses and Abraham are less than in the, in the eyes of the Hebrew uh, people, in, in the eyes of Israel. When I've been to Jerusalem, they actually have King David's tomb. That's how important he is. King David is the Hebrew hero. He's a man after God's own heart. That's God's testimony. But really, this man has sin riddled in his life, and he has great consequences because of it. 
Well, welcome. Thanks so much for joining us. We're doing Kings and Covenants. This is a survey of First and Second Samuel. And what we've done is we've taken a few stories throughout the summer from both books and we're using them to learn to be obedient to Christ and it's been a really impactful sermon series and this is just one of those so we're grateful that you're joining us you know what we are in what we call exciting times and when I say exciting it doesn't mean fun or easy I'm not excited like happy joy I'm excited because it's so painful and so stressful in my life that I only know that God can do something great he loves to we sang a song uh, bring things out of ashes and I believe that's what's going to happen this is an exciting time but it's stressful and painful there's anxiety and just struggle all over the world but i believe god is big and god is doing something and one of the things that we're doing did you hear what dustin said beach baptism today one of our first live gatherings today four o'clock and then the huge announcement next week sunday we're going to meet live how amazing is that it seems like we haven't been together for years my heart leaps for joy and I believe God is going to start doing something and we're going to come together and we're going to see God move. And I believe that's going to happen. Today I want to talk about sin. Now, I don't really want to talk about sin individually. I want to really talk about the consequences of sin because sin has huge consequences. For believers and non-believers, there's huge consequences and we need to understand that. And it kind of is the second part of a message that I did a couple weeks ago. Remember that guy with the funny name, Mephibosheth? Everybody was making fun of it in community groups. And in that story, I was talking about this main point, which were two things are endless in the world. The foolishness of man and the mercy, endless mercy of Jesus Christ. And there was this concept that we could have d talked about, which is the consequence of sin. Apart from God, the consequence of sin is death. And the foolishness or the sinfulness of man is going to end in death. And I'm not just talking about a physical death. This is an eternal death separated from God. But the endless mercy, the mercy hand of God brings us into a relationship with God. And in his grace and mercy and through the forgiveness and the work on the cross, he makes us right and whole and we become the righteousness of God. Listen to what it says in Romans. A lot of people say, oh, Romans is my favorite book. And you know what? There's been a lot of Christian writing about Romans. And the truth is, most people have some of the favorite verses in Romans. But the book is very confusing, even to great theologians. But in Romans chapter 5, and I challenge you to read from at least 12, chapter 5, 12 to the end, it starts talking about sin. And here's what it says in Romans 5, 12. It says, when Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, and so death spread to everyone, for everyone's sin. The Bible tells us that all have fallen short and all are sinners, and the wages of sin is death. We see that in Romans. When Adam brought sin into the world, we have this sin nature, and the consequences are enormous and we need to dig into that and that's why this story is in the bible that's why god wants this story to be told and read david wants it to be deleted because it's embarrassing he's a great man if we took these stories out chapter 11 and chapter 12 david would look like a, the one of the most amazing mans in the bible but the truth is david had flaws and david had sin now nathan comes to david with this issue he comes to David because he knows that there's been sin in David's life. And he has to bring this before David. That's the problem with uh, our life today. People need to come before us and present sin sometimes because we don't realize how it's impacting us and affecting us. 
And that's what Nathan is doing to David. And basically, here's what's happened. And here's what I'm going to tell you a little paraphrase of chapter 11. If you don't know the story of David, Bathsheba, and Uriah, you need to read chapter 12. It's great reading. If you haven't uh, watched the soap opera in a, a while, chapter 11 is it in the text. It's a great story, but it's actually a horrible story about sin and adultery and murder and chaos and confusion and where the consequence of sin begins. But let me give you the one-minute version of what happens. And if you've never read it, I, I challenge you to read it because I promise you it will help make this story uh, more powerful today. So here's what happened. One midday afternoon, David wakes up from his afternoon nap. Gotta love good naps. Dustin hates them, but we all know everybody in the world loves them. David wakes up. He gets to the rooftop. And he looks out over his kingdom. And he happens to catch his eye on this beautiful woman taking a bath. And it says, and I don't know why it's in there, but it says she's cleansing herself from her menstrual cycle. That's really what's happening. But he sees her, and she's gorgeous. And so here's what happens. He must have her. So he sends a servant. He brings her back, and he has her. And what that means is sex. So what happens is she happens to be a married woman whose husband is out fighting a battle for King David. Well, a couple weeks go by, and as it always happens, they had sex, and the consequence of sex, if you don't do it protected, or if you don't do it in wedlock, it, you actually could have a baby, and that's what happened. She says, I'm, I'm pregnant. Now, this is where it gets really ugly. Right now, David has an opportunity. Sin starts to unravel right now, and he tries to fix it. When we try and fix sin and we don't bring it before God, it gets worse. David decides to cover this up. So he goes out and says, hey, bring Uriah back. And so Uriah comes back, and David sits with him, talks to him, tells him some stories, and then tries to get him drunk, and then send him home to his wife, hoping that he would sleep with her so that the, he would think the child is his. It doesn't happen. He tries again. It doesn't happen. And so finally, David sends him back with orders in his own hand to have him killed. So Uriah is going back with an order in his hand that he is going to be killed uh, in, in, in military war. So he takes this letter back to the captain of the army. His name's Joab. And Joab is told in this letter to send him to the fiercest battle. And when the battle starts, everybody pull back and make sure Uriah dies. And he does. And then at the end of the story, uh, Bathsheba mourns her husband, the loss of her husband, because she slept with King David. And then David, after the mourning, takes her as his wife. Now, she's pregnant. Now, I want you to remember this. If you don't know this verse, it's write it down. The address says James chapter 4, verse 17. I really think it's an important verse for all of us to know, especially now with all the crazy posts and all the things that are being said in our society. Remember what this says. It says, remember, it is a sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. It's a sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. So many times today, we know what's right and we choose not to do it, and that's a sin. And that's what we're trying to understand today. Sin and the consequences of sin. Sin has huge consequences. And one of the big ones that happens to all of us who are sinners, it creates a lack of fellowship with God. There's distance between me and God. That's one of the consequences that we all understand or need to understand. That when I'm in sin and when I'm stuck in sin, my fellowship with God is distant. The interesting thing about David is he is in this, he's in this crazy time. He's had this horrible sin by adultery, and now he ends up killing Uriah, and now he's in this place of chaos and confusion. And we know that because David writes a lot of the books, uh, the, a lot of the books in Psalms, 
Psalm 38, 32, and 51 tell about this time after Bathsheba. Psalm 51, if you don't know it, has that famous verse, 5110. It says, Create in me a clean heart. Reshape me and renew me so I have this spirit within me that I can have that fellowship with you. That's Psalm 5110. That's kind of my paraphrase. But that's where it comes from because he's in the midst of this sinful place distant from God but let's look at Psalm 38 and here's what it says 38 6 you hear this sorrowful cry from David and here's what it says I am bent over and I'm racked over with pain all day long I walk around filled with grief this man is bent over he's in pain he's suffering the physical ailments of sin has taken over his life listen to what verse 8 says I'm exhausted I'm completely crushed my groans come from the anguish of my heart David is in a distant place from God. This sin and the consequence of sin is taking away his peace and joy and his fellowship with God. And he's physically rattled with pain. David loved the Lord. We know David loved the Lord and he tried to worship him, but he found a barrier. And that barrier was the sin that he did. And the guilt, the guilt and shame has now grown where he can't have any fellowship with God. God seemed distant and far away. If we look at uh, verse 21 and 38, it says, Do not abandon me, or in your text might say, Do not forsaken me, O Lord. Don't stand at a distant, my God. Where are you, he's saying. I'm at a distant because David has sinned. God is still present, but David's sin has moved him out of the will of God. And once again, he has no rest for his soul. Listen to what it says about his friends and his family. He says, my loved ones and my friends stay away, fearing my disease. They're like, this guy's sick. There's something wrong with him. It says, even my own family stands at a distance. Verse 11. Here's the thing. David got that beautiful woman. That lust that he had in his life, he got that woman. But he has no peace and he has no fellowship with God. And that's a consequence for all of us that have sin. David has guilt, guilt and shame. Guilt tends and shame tends to have us lash out when we're struggling, when we're trying to hide something. We lash out at other people. And in this story about the little lamb and the rich man and the poor man, David lashes out. That man should die, he says. But David's just trying to hide his guilt and shame. Subconsciously, there's anger inside of him that's erupting because he knows that he's not right with God. He's not right with anybody, and there's, there's great sin inside of him. David is in a, in a place of struggle, and this story that Nathan tells him is really about him. Now listen, Nathan comes to David. Now think about this for a second. David has killed a man because he slept with his wife. Now Nathan is coming with a message from God. Do you think he's excited going, this should be easy? No, Nathan's got to have fear and anxiety as he comes before David because is he going to kill me too? Verse 7 said, Nathan said, David, you're that man. And then the Lord responds through Nathan. He says, the Lord, the God of Israel says, I anointed you king of Israel to save you from the power of Saul. And so as I read this next few verses, I put myself in the text because I remember my sin and I remember the consequences of sin. And I just hear God speaking to me and I hope he speaks to you if you put yourself in the text. He's basically talking to, king, uh, to David and he's saying, listen, look at all that I've done for you. I've taken Saul and all his possessions, and I've done a great work. And here's what it says. I gave you your master's house, his wife's, and the kingdom of Israel and Judah. Israel's unified. Everything's right. 
And then it says, and if that had not been enough, I would have given you much, much more. Wow. Much, much more. If I just stayed out of my own way and got out of lust, I could have had more, much, much more. Why then have you despised the word of the Lord and done this horrible deed? And I just, my soul just kind of wrenches with sin when I think about myself. And why just I don't, why don't I just obey the word of God? Why do I do horrible things? And here's what it says. For you have murdered Uriah the Hittite with the sword of the Ammonites and stolen his wife. And that brings us to verse 10. And that's really the first consequence that we see the Lord give David. The first consequence is to live by the sword. Here's what it says in verse 10. From this time on, your family will live by the sword because you have despised me by taking Uriah's wife to be your own. The first consequence is live by the sword, die by the sword. You ever heard that quote? That's actually a biblical quote. A lot of times we don't realize a lot of quotes that we say today are biblical quotes, and that's what this quote means. And what it really means is how you live is how you're going to be treated. Do unto others as they will do to you. And now David, from this point on, everybody around him is going to die by the sword. And there's going to be huge consequences. Very applicable here. If we look forward over the next few verses, you're going to see the consequence come into full effect. Absalom knew about Uriah. Absalom is one of David's sons. He knew about Uriah. And at one point, there was a struggle or rebellion against one of his brothers and his sister. And he decides to kill his brother. Die by the sword. So Absalom kills his brother Anon. He says, my dad kills, so why shouldn't I? How about Joab, the commander of the army? He knows what David did to Uriah. And there's a moment where he has the opportunity to to let Absalom live or die. And he ends up killing David's son, Absalom. And he kills other people that David adored as well. One of them is uh, Amasa, the captain of the army. The point is this, is that sometimes in life, we are we our consequence of sin is what we do in life that's how we're treated and here david is lives by the sword he has to die by the sword and people all around him die by the sword the second uh um, consequence is your house will rebel and here's what it says in 11a this is what the lord says because of what you have done you will cause your own household to rebel against you if we sin If I sin, and I've sinned, trust me, I've sinned more than you want to know. As a pastor, I've sinned. Recently, I've sinned. When we sin and our family sees it, and there's no repentance and no coming to God and asking God to work in it, the family sees it, and it becomes open season. Everybody's like, well, if my dad sins or my mom sins, everybody's sinning because there's no big deal. And here we see one of the consequences is the house of David uh, is going to rebel. Sin doesn't help you parent. I don't know if you're a parent right now, but it does not help you parent. I always make this claim. David's not a good parent, and it's because it's one of the consequences of his sin. His house is going to rebel. Sin leads his family to rebel against him. There was a lot of rebellion in David's house. There was a lot of evil. Think about this. This is a man after God's own heart, and he has evil and rebellion within his family. Here's a couple of things that are, 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 are really highlighted in 2 Samuel. David's son, Amnon, rapes his sister, David's daughter, Tamar. Because of that, Absalom murders Amnon. What kind of rebellion is going on? This house is crazy. 
Absalom rebels against King David a few years later, and he realizes that he wants to be king, so he's trying to kill David, and he wants David outside of the house. That's rebellion. And a little bit later, at the end of David's life, right before Solomon is supposed to be king, there's one of his sons, Adonijah, attempts to take over the throne right before David dying. There's so much rebellion, and it's all because it's a consequence of sin. Here's what 11b says. I will give your wives to another man. And this is the second or the third consequence. He will give his wives to another man that happens to be his son. Before your very eyes, and I will go to bed with them in public view. He will go to bed with them, not God. That's not appropriate, by the way. It says, you did it secretly, but I will make this happen to you openly in the sight of Israel. And that's the third consequence here. I will give your wife to another. And the other is his son, Absalom. You remember uh, several weeks ago, I talked about uh, many wives. Everybody in the Bible that has many wives has struggles with their marriage and their family. When the Bible talks about many wives or many partners in the Bible, I'm telling you, it's a description of what's going on. It's not a prescription of what we are supposed to do. Anytime there's multiple wives in the Bible, it's a bad thing. And here we see it as, again, a bad thing. Although David took Bathsheba privately and had this lustful affair with her and it caused great pain for her husband and her and you're going to see so much more. God says, now your wives will be taken publicly and your son is going to have sex with them on the roof. So all, all of Israel will see and we see that in 2 Samuel 16, 22. That's the consequence of sin. Sin usually brings unhappy consequences. And God doesn't always see fit to eliminate those consequences in our life. He knows that experiencing the effects of our sin will help us be more sensitive to his will. Let me say that again. He knows that experiencing the effects of our consequence of sin will help us be closer and understand more about his will. Be sensitive to his will. The consequence of David's sin, the consequence of your sin and my sin is far-reaching. And David's sin is far-reaching and long-lasting. I was just thinking about this this week. Uh, some of the things I did 18, 19 years ago, I still have to deal with in some way, shape, or form. And it's not good. It's not easy. And David, until the end of his life, is going to deal with the consequence of sin. Verse 13 and 14 really kind of show us the beauty of God. And then David confessed to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan says, yes, but the Lord has forgiven you, and you won't die for this sin. Now, that's an important thing to see here because you remember in, in the Hebrew Bible, it's like eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. But here, you have been forgiven and you won't die. The wages of sin is death, Romans chapter 6, verse 23. We have all fallen short and we all have sin, but the wages of sin is death. But the Lord says, I forgive you. And I believe if you look at the future of David and Bathsheba, she's kind of included. There's some uh, reconcile with her too. Verse 14 says this, and this is the fourth consequence. It says, nevertheless, because you have sown utter contempt for the word of the Lord, utter contempt for the word of the Lord, by doing this, your child will die. This is harsh. 
I mean, think about what we're talking about here. The child is going to die. David's child for this illicit, uh, adulterous affair with Bathsheba has to die now. The baby would uh, give the enemies of God reason to blaspheme God. But God graciously is taking the baby home to himself. Now listen, we grieve with David. Think about what's happened. The loss of a child. I had a friend uh, lose a child this week. And the pain of losing a child is, I, I have no idea, but I know it's devastating. And our church, for whatever reason, has about 20 families that have lost children. And God has brought them together because our church is healing people's families from this great loss. We grieve this loss with David because what he loses is devastating. But we're grateful for what happens in the text in verse 23, and we'll get to it. And it kind of tells us that that baby is going to be in the presence of God. And it's one of those texts that kind of gives us some reassurance of something we don't really understand. But I want to stop for a second. Did you notice why God took the baby? That's something we need to understand because that might be a major point that helps us kind of understand what God is really trying to say. This point needs to really be kind of spelled out for a moment. The enemy of the Lord's could have blasphemed God because of David's sin. But now we understand one of the important reasons of divine discipline. I don't really like discipline. I'm actually a rebel, a rebel myself. I rebel against anything and anyone if I can. Divinely disciplined is important, and it's administered so that the enemies of God. What is the enemy of God? It's somebody against God, an anti-Christ, an anti-God person, someone who's against anything that God is doing. That's the enemy of God. So it's administered so that the enemies of God will know God is infinitely holy and righteous. And that he deals with sin even with his own children. If, if he were to just blow off the sin, if God just blew off the sin of David and kind of gave this mindset of, oh, boys will just be boys, uh-huh. If he just kind of had that attitude, God would be a laughingstock to the unbelieving world. God would be mocked. Oh, you, you gave David favor, but you didn't give the average person favor. But instead, God treats him just like any other person. David had to bear the consequences of sin. And so do we. The burden of, of sin is heavy and David has to feel it. But the point of the message is we need to realize that before we sin. We need to understand the consequences of sin so that we can understand more about God's will and his word so that we can become sinless. We can have less sin in our life. We're never going to be sinless like Christ, but sinless two words let's read after 15 and kind of get to to close here it said this after nathan returned to his home the lord sent a deadly illness to the child of david and uriah's wife david begged god to spare his child he went without food and laid all night on the bare ground the elders of the household pled with him to get up and eat with them but he refused then on the seventh day, the child died. David's advisors were afraid of him. He wouldn't listen to reason while the child was ill, they said. What drastic thing will he do when we tell him that his child is dead? When David saw them whispering, he realized what had happened. Is the child dead, he asked. Yes, they replied, he is dead. Then David got up from the ground washed himself, put on lotion, and changed his clothes. And listen, 
Last time I spoke, we talked about worship. And this is what separates David from all others. He's gone through all this stuff. And finally, his child has died. And listen what it says. It says, he went to the tabernacle and worshiped. How do we do that? We have the consequences of sin. My baby's died. I've, I've killed a man. I've, I've taken another man's wife. All these things are going on. And in the moment, David finds his true center, cling to God, and worships God. I love this. And I want this. And so should you. After that, he returned to the palace and was served food, and he ate. His advisors were amazed. Don't you understand? We don't know. Sorry, we don't understand you, they told him. While the child was living, you wept and refused to eat. But now the child is dead. You have stopped your mourning and you are eating again. And David starts to explain. I have fasted and wept while the child was alive. For perhaps, uh, for I said, perhaps the Lord will be gracious to me and let the child live. But why should I fast again when he is dead? Can, can I bring him back again? And here's the verse. I will go to him one day, but he cannot be returned to me. Verse 23 tells us that this baby, David's going to meet this baby again, that he's in the presence of the Lord. And this is a very tough theological subject, so I don't want to get into it. But this is one of those places that we hold uh, true. We have to kind of make some inferences. And this is saying that that child is in heaven. Now, here's the end of the story, and I'm just going to paraphrase it because of time. David comforted his wife after the child died, and he slept with her again, and they had a, a child, and that child's name was Solomon. And Solomon became, becomes the future king. Now, here's the story. I, we sang a song right before this message, The Goodness of God. Do you guys know the goodness of God? I sure do. Because I've had sin in my life, and I've struggled with the consequences of sin, even though I've tried to do the right thing for many years. But we still have a good God, and here's the good part of God. David was forgiven, and Bathsheba was also in some way forgiven, and it kind of shows by what goes on in the, in, in the next part of their life. There's no proof that David never uh, takes another wife. From this moment on, David takes no more wife. That's important. He, they have a son, and the son's name Solomon. Solomon's Hebrew name means peace. Grace is evident, and the forgiveness in bringing both David and Bathsheba right with God is evident. If you look at Matthew chapter 1, verse 6, you see Bathsheba in the genealogy of Jesus, and David is known as the son of David. So at the end of this, we see the goodness of God. God forgives, he doesn't kill, and, and he treats his child just. But the consequence of sin is still part of their life. And even in the consequence of sin, David and Bathsheba don't let it cripple their marriage and cripple their life from this day forward. Even though until David die, dies, there's a bunch of sin that he's going to have to deal with. Now, there's this guy named Timothy Keller, and he's one of the great writers in the country right now. And he's a pastor of a church. And I believe about 85 or 90 percent of his theology but he writes some beautiful stuff. And listen to what it says about the gospel. This is the gospel, he says. 
We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we'll ever dare to believe. We are so sinful. Even good Christian men, good pastors, good Christian women, and, and, and amazing children that are Christian, they still are riddled with sin, he says. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dare to believe. We have a lot of sin, but here's the good news. Yet, at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted than Christ than we ever hope to dare that comforts me so much for a guy like me that has lived a horrible first 30 years of life to see the last 18 years be changed and still dealing with the consequences of sin to know that Jesus loves me no matter what and he's accepted me no matter what gives me so much hope for the future and I hope you feel that hope right now too whatever's going on whatever's happened in your life you know, Romans chapter 5 talks about one man bringing sin into the world a little bit later in chapter uh, 5, verse 18 and 19. And this is the close of the message, says this. Yes, Adam's one, one sin brings condemnation to everyone. But Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. When David comes before God, confesses his sin and gets right before God he now is the righteousness of God because he comes before God he confesses he worships he lets his child go but he doesn't let sin destroy him and he doesn't let all the chaos and confusion because of that sin separate him from the will of God he accepts it Christ's one act of righteousness makes us right with God and brings new life to everyone. And here's verse 19. Because of one person disobeyed God, many became sinners. But because one other person obeyed God, many will become righteous. We are the righteousness of God. No matter what sin you've done, whatever consequences of sin that you're living in he accepts you he loves you and he wants to know he wants you to know that you are the righteousness of god the goodness of god is present for all right now and i hope you know that and i just want you to sit for a second in quiet before we pray and if you're new and you don't know god and you're distant from god and maybe you're one of those anti-enemies of god if you hear this message and it's tugging on your heart, you have a right, uh, you have an opportunity to make your relation right with God by accepting him. You pray in a second and let's become together the righteousness of God. Father, we love you and we claim you above all things, above all people, above all powers and authority in this world and in the heavens. And we ask right now that you shine upon us even in the midst of our sin and you help us go through some of the consequences of sin so that we can know your beautiful love, grace, and mercy. Thank you for forgiveness and the work that you've done on the cross, Father. And I ask right now, Lord, that you will bring people across the threshold so that they can be the child, uh, a child of God and be the righteousness of God. If that's you right now and you're hearing this and you're feeling this, this tug internally, will you just repeat this prayer? And it goes like this. Father, forgive me. Come into my heart. Come into my soul and be my Lord and Savior. You died and you rose again so that I may have eternal life and I can be the righteousness of God. And I thank you for that. Holy Spirit, come over my life right now 
and teach me how to be obedient to you from now until I meet you in heaven. We love you, Lord. We praise you. In Jesus' name. I'm so grateful that you've joined us today. I hope you got something out of this. I hope you see the power of God and the passion of God. And I hope you will come today at 4 o'clock and meet us at the beach. And I can't wait to see you next Sunday. God bless you. God loves you. And God's with you.